0: Not the works they do. Why? Because they're hypocrites. For they preach, but they do not practice. Right? The scribes are careful to say the right things, but their religion was external. It wasn't internal. They cared about impressing people. They didn't care about God. That's why the uh, description gets a little harsher. Scroll down to verse 25. Jesus still talking about the scribes and Pharisees. Now in verse 25, he starts with, Woe Whoa. Whoa to you, scribes and Pharisees. And then what does he call them? Here's our word. You hypocrites. That's what you are. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate. You make everything look nice on the outside. But on the inside, you're full of greed and of self-indulgence. Inside is where all their issues were. I had to love power and authority and status. So yeah, they look good on the outside, but what they were made of on the inside didn't match. I thought of this and I remembered back when I was a kid My mom used to buy that little tub of uh, Crisco shortening. I don't know if they still have that. Remember that stuff? And I remember as a kid, I went and I got a big old spoonful of that. And I told my sister it was vanilla frosting, as any good older brother would. Man, I tell you to her, look good on the outside. That it did, but she found out looks don't matter. No, no, what's made of? Oh, that's what counts. What well, my sister found out, what Jesus is warning here is, don't be fooled by the outside. Outside, that's what man looks at. First Samuel sixteen seven. Put it on the screen. The Lord sees not as man sees. What does man look at? Looks at the outward appearance, but well, not God. The Lord looks on the heart, the inside, the heart. That's what matters to God, and that is what matters, or should matter, to us. So we got to take this warning to heart. You got to be mindful. Of your own hypocrisy of spiritual hypocrisy pretending to follow christ when it's all just a big facade and there's nothing underneath and it's just a show And you're coming here to compass Babel church you're sitting here on thrive on thursday nights and you're looking good on the outside but like the scribes you're doing things just for appearances you want people to think well of you to think he's a pretty good guy she's a pretty religious gal you got to ask yourself why are you coming to church why are you sitting here and Thrive tonight? Are you really seeking after God or is this just a show? Well, I don't know. How do I know? Maybe I'm just fooling myself. Well, I'll tell you how you know. You need to look at what you do when no one else is around. Right? That's how you find out who you really are. From time to time, I like to go to Paul's Pantry. You know that place, a little truck stop kind of restaurant kind of out of place off Crown Valley and Mission Viejo, but they have these amazing cinnamon rolls, big as your head, freshly baked, come out gooing with frosting and butter all over. Oh, so good. But I go there with my kids and my wife sometimes, and my wife, she likes to eat healthy. So for her, I'll put on a good show, and I'll, I'll forego the cinnamon roll. But that's not who I really am. No, 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 because when she's not there, I recently took my nine-year-old he was for his birthday. That's where he wanted to go. It was just me and the boys. No one else was around. Guess what dad ordered? A big fat cinnamon roll. All right, Healthy Ryan. No, Healthy Ryan's a facade. Cinnamon roll Ryan. <laughs> that's, that's the real thing. And that's the guy that shows up when no one else is around. Same way, same way that you find out who you really are as a Christian when it's just you and God when no one else is around. No one else will know. Do you get up early and read the Bible when you're tired, when you could be sleeping, and it's just you and God? Do you do that? Do you take time in a busy day to pray when it's just you and God? When you're home alone, and that image pops up on the computer screen or the TV that you shouldn't be looking at, but no one else will know, what do you do? True follower of God is one that follows God 24-7 not talking about 24 hours a week 7 months out of the year. No, I'm talking really 24/7 all the time. You got to examine yourself and you got to figure out what do you do when it's just you and God? If it's anything different than how you act in public, you are a hypocrite. And you got to heed the warnings of these verses and you got to get your life right with God. Hypocrisy, it's an issue. It's an issue across all aspects of life. But I think you'll agree with me that it's particularly harmful in the marriage relationship. And since this is a marriage group, right, can we talk about marriage here tonight? Because perhaps above any other earthly relationship, marriage roles call us to be selfless. Husbands selflessly sacrificing for their wives. Wives selflessly submitting to their husbands. And it takes energy and it takes effort and it takes humility to make this whole thing work. Oh, and it's one thing, though, to make your marriage look good on the outside. Coming here to thrive, hanging out at church, looking like a godly husband or wife. But when you get off, when you get home and the gloves come off, and you're harsh, and you're unkind, and you're selfish with your spouse, that could spell disaster for your marriage. You'd be a marriage hypocrite. Trying hard to make your marriage look good on the outside when the reality is so different. Point number two on your outline, you need to beware of marital hypocrisy. Beware of marital hypocrisy. Because we all start out strong in marriage with these, with these great declarations of love standing at the altar. But if you're not working at it, you could get lazy. And year, years go by, you could start, start to drift, as Pastor Mike talked about. And pretty soon your marriage on the inside stops matching the marriage you're trying to portray on the outside. So what I want to do tonight is I want to give you four types of marital hypocrisy look out for. Four things that can betray that godly outward appearance you're trying to construct for your marriage. Four sins that will keep you from being the kind of spouse that God's called you to be. Four sins that we'll see in this next two verses. And these are very exciting times. I'm very excited because I've brought back the pointy fingers. I know you've been waiting a long time to see those things. So I brought them back and I got four of them on there. One for each type of marital hypocrisy that you need to watch out for. And let's go ahead. Let's start right with the first one. Pointy finger number one. First thing, kind of marital hypocrisy you need to watch out for. You need to beware of being proud when you should be humble. Beware of being proud when you should be humble. The scribes are proud. Look back at a passage in Luke. Look at verse 46. It says, beware of the scribes who love to do what? Walk around in long robes. They love those long robes with those elongated tassels that Pastor Mike told us about. They loved to be noticed. They loved to be well thought of. They had a high opinion of themselves. They were basically proud. Proud of themselves, and they wanted others to see them and notice them. You still have Matthew 23 open? Look at verse 5. Speaking of the scribes, they do all their deeds, this is Matthew 23, 5, to be seen by others. That's why they do them. They make their phylacteries broad, and they make their fringes long. Loved to be seen by men. Described success was recognition from men and praise from men because it stoked their ego and it increased their pride. Always just trying to pull that attention on themselves because they thought so highly of themselves, they were never thinking, never thinking of God. And we all have this tendency. Let's face it. We want to make ourselves look good. We want to be thought highly of. But then you enter into this thing called marriage, and God calls you to what? Do the opposite. Husbands, set aside your interests and love your wife as Christ loved the church. And wives, set aside your agenda and submit to your husband's leadership. But pride can get in there. Pride can mess all that up. Instead of humbly just looking at what God wants you to do in your marriage, start pridefully thinking that you know best. And then what the proud person does, the proud person starts to then just elevate their role of what they're doing in their marriage. You ever think that? You ever think, man, I'm the one that's doing everything in this marriage. I'm the one bringing home the money. I'm the one taking care of the kids. I'm the one holding this household together. From time to time, I start thinking this. Sometimes, I think, ah, I'm leading this family. I'm the one that's holding this whole thing together. Then my wife goes away for the weekend. I'm like a women's retreat or something. I tell you, it's like 20 or 30 minutes and it's like Lord of the Flies in our house. Kids, kids running around with underwear on their heads and we're all just staring at the kitchen table wondering why dinner hasn't magically appeared like it normally does and clothes don't magically appear folded at the foot of the bed. And, and then my, my pride's knocked down a few levels. I don't realize maybe I don't do quite so much as I think I do. You got to recognize in a marriage you are a team you and your spouse genesis 224 you're one flesh you're working together you've got your role your spouse has got their role When you're both coming together before god and doing his will ah then you'll have a godly marriage on the inside that's going to match the one on the outside but there's another issue we see in these verses but look back in verse 46 of luke 20 Not only did the scribes love to walk around in long robes, they loved greetings in the marketplace, loved the attention. They loved to be talked about, loved to focus on themselves. They wanted people looking at and talking about them. That's why if you look down at verse 47, it says, they love for a pretense to make long prayers. They wanted to be the ones talking, be the center of attention, having people focused on them. But God calls us to take that focus off ourselves. And first and foremost, to put that focus on God, so point your finger number two on your outline, you need to be aware of being self-focused when you should be God-focused. Take that focus off yourself. Put it on God. You got that focus on God, you're going to be concerned to do what God wants to do. But what does God want you to do? Well, Philippians 2 says that we should look not only to our own interests, but look to the interests of Of others. Well, in the context of marriage, you got to take your focus off yourself and you got to put it on your spouse. So I added a pointing finger number two here you need to be be beware of being self focused when really, in the context of marriage, what you should be is you should be spouse focused. Got to think and talk less about yourself and instead think and talk about your spouse more. When you look at the conversations that you have, either with your spouse or about your spouse, when you look at those words that come flying out of your mouth, thousands of them each day. Are you, are you building up your spouse? you focusing attention on them? Or like the scribes, you just want that focus on you, building yourself up. As Christian husbands and wives, we've got to look for those opportunities that God gives us to build up our spouse. Ephesians 4.29, put it on the screen. It says, we should let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. We shouldn't be saying anything bad. Not about our spouse, not about anything, but only such as good for what? For building up, for building our spouse up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So let's talk about those conversations you have with others. How do you talk about your spouse? When you're talking with your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, you find yourself talking about your spouse, what's coming out of your mouth? You complaining about your spouse? You listen the ways that they've disappointed you? Or are you building them up? Are you singing their praises? Think, you so often create your spouse's reputation with others. Think about using something like social media. Telling others how great your spouse is. My wife does a phenomenal job on this. She's always on Facebook, putting encouraging things about me on there. Flipping through Facebook, I come across something like, Hey, hey, that's me. Uh, I do do that. Hey, check it, look what I do. It's encouraging. I'm encouraged by my spouse. But even in conversations directly with your spouse, do you take the time to focus on your spouse, notice the things that they do? Especially if it's something that they always do, something that maybe you're tempted to just neglect or, or take for granted. My wife does the laundry every single week. And she folds my t-shirts in the stupid special way that I like so that they fit in the drawer just right. And she does that every single week. And I thought, when was the last time I just thanked her for doing that? Try this in your marriage. I dare you. Just pick something that your spouse does all the time, probably something you don't even think about anymore, and go out of your way to thank them. You'll be amazed at the kind of impact this can have of being spouse-focused in your marriage. But let me give you another way, another way to tell that if you're focused on yourself yourself, or on your spouse. Look at what you talk about with your spouse when it's the end of the day and the kids are finally in bed and you finally get a chance to sit down. Where does your conversation turn? To you? What you've got going on at work? Issues you have? Or to them? Do you even ask your spouse about their day? The big meeting they had, that that important call with a friend that they were going to have? Do you even ask your spouse, hey, what can I do, honey, to, to better support you? When you look at the totality of the conversation you have with your spouse, it should be a whole lot more about them than it is about you. It's your calling as a husband or a wife to be focused on God and by extension to be focused on your spouse. A lot more than you're focused on yourself. But there's yet another issue we find with the scribes back in Luke 20 and verse 46 because not only did they love the greetings in the marketplace, what else did they love? The best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Basically, they wanted the best for themselves, the best stuff, the best seats that they could get. I remember early on in my vaunted career at El Pollo Loco, I uh, had a uh, board meeting. And this board, we had this big old board table. We had this big conference room. Big, long board table with seats around it. And then there was just like a couple of seats way in back for the peons. And I go walking in, and there was a friend of mine sitting at the table. And I say, hey, come, come, sit up here. sit at the table next to me. Pull my chair up, sitting down at the table, feeling pretty proud of myself, thinking, yeah, I'm sitting here with the big boys. Until the president comes in, looks around, realizes there's not enough seats at the table for the board members, and says in front of everybody, Ryan, why don't you get up and uh, go on over there in the back with the uh, peanut gallery over there? So as I'm slinking back to the back with the peons, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this sounds familiar i feel like the bible talks about this or something which of course it does luke 14 parable of the wedding feast, says don't take the good seats for yourselves you might get moved down no take the low seat the meaning in that passage same as the meaning in our passage tonight don't take the best for yourselves don't be selfish instead you've got to be selfless selfless in life but particularly, you've got to be selfless in marriage. So the third kind of marital hypocrisy to watch out for, you need to beware of being selfish. What you really should be in marriage is selfless. You've got to be selfless. If pointy finger number two is talking about selfishness in words, here we're talking about selfishness in actions and what we do. The scribes are selfish in what they do. They took the best seats. They took the places of honor for themselves. They weren't willing to give. They weren't willing to help anybody else. We know that from Matthew 23. Look at verse four, if you still have that open. Again, talking about the scribes, it says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But what are they doing? They themselves are not willing to move them even, not even just with their little finger. They're hypocrites. You got to fight this hypocrisy. You got to be looking for ways to selflessly sacrifice in marriage. Given your time, giving your money, giving your efforts, not for yourself, but for your spouse. Just think about practical things, hanging out with your spouse. What, what movie do you watch? What you want, what he or she wants. What restaurant you're going to choose? What you want? My wife, she's always selfless here, healthy eater, always hanging out at restaurants with her carb-loving husband and kids. And I thought, you know, I need to try this. So I took her, we went to, uh, we went to Poke Bowl. She likes Pokey. I said, oh, I like poke. If it's cooked, medium rare, and comes from a cow, they like it. No, it is. We went out to Pokeball. You know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, but it's funny how much of a benefit doing something selfless can have in your marriage. Or even just dealing with your schedule that fills up so quickly. Who's going to run the kids to practice? Who's going to go to the grocery store? We got two kids. They're both in sports right now. Sometimes their games overlap. We've got to figure out who's taking which kid to which game. I mean, who's going to go to the fast, exciting soccer game that's done in one hour, and who's going to go to the slow, painful baseball game where kids can't pitch? There's like 20 walks in an inning. <laughs> and they don't even get any exercise. I don't even understand this. And they, get, they take like four and a half hours. But you've got to be selfless, and you got to say, no, honey, you you go have fun at the soccer game. I'll hear you cheering. I'll be over here for the next day and a half at the baseball game. <laughs> But you got to make those self, selfless choices. Or you got to fight what I like to call a 50-50 marriage, right? Where you're saying, I'm only willing to, to invest so much as long as my spouse is. I'll do this as long as you're doing that. Even if it feels like you're doing all the chores around the house, you're taking care of everything with the kids, you do it not because your spouse is coming in and filling the other half. No, you're doing that because that is what God calls you to do. Don't even start there. Go further than that. Find something your spouse normally does and do it for them. Your wife does the laundry, do it for her. She gets home and it's all done. Take out the trash, water the plants, whatever it is, taking your time and your energy and your effort from yourself and spending it on your spouse. All right, we got one one last issue here to look at, Look back at Luke 20, verse 47. Last thing that it talks about, the scribes, says they love to devour widows' houses. What does that mean? Remember, these guys are lawyers. And remember what Pastor Mike said. They were serving as executors of these these widows' estates. And they were cheating them. The widows of all people. The most vulnerable in society. The most in need of care. The most in need of kindness. And they had a harsh response to those most in need. So the final hypocrisy you need to watch out for that can be so damaging in your marriage is when you are harsh when you should be kind. You've got to watch out for being harsh when you should be kind. Because in marriage, you are most vulnerable with your spouse. Just like the widows are the most vulnerable in society, you are the most vulnerable with your spouse because they know you the best and their words can hurt you the most. Think about it. If you came up to me after Thrive and said, dude, that lesson was terrible and your jokes stink and you kind of look funny, I, I mean, what, I might, I might be taken a little back. Okay, might think you're weird. Small group might meet in the storage closet next year, but you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll get over it. But if I get home and my wife says, honey, he's right. Your jokes are terrible and and your lesson stinks and you do look funny. (laughs) I'd be heartbroken. I'd be crushed. I'd be devastated because she knows me so well and I'm so dependent on her support. Harsh words can be so devastating, especially in marriage. Look at James 3.5. I have it on the screen. James 3.5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Think about this in marriage. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And where does this start? Starts in arguments, where this so often takes place. When couples have arguments, which is what I've heard they have. Not that I know anything about that. But no, arguments. Think about it. When they get heated, what comes out of your mouth? Harsh, cutting words? Harmful words that you didn't even know you had in you? your arguments blow up from little things into big things and you start saying things like you always do this and i hate it when you do that and it gets personal and it gets harsh you got to remember this is the person that you pledge to be with and to love forever and how hypocritical it is to stand at the altar and make these great declarations of love and then spend your marriage yelling at your wife or berating your husband You got to watch your tongue and you got to pray for wisdom, not to be harsh, but to be kind and to forgive. When someone makes a mistake and mistakes will be made and they come to you and they say, honey, I blew it, I messed up. You forgive them. Why? Ephesians 4.32, because you know in Christ Jesus, God forgave you of all your sin and all the stupid things you've done. So you can forgive when your spouse comes to you for forgiveness. And then you set it aside not to be brought up again in the next argument. you got to be kind and loving to your spouse because that is exactly what God has been to you. I mean, look, look at this list. Humble, God-focused, selfless, kind. That's what God calls you to be. You're coming to church, you're coming to Thrive, you're putting on a show But then you go home, and with your spouse, you're proud, and you're self-focused, and you're selfish, and you're harsh. You're a hypocrite. You're a a marital hypocrite. Hear the judgment in these verses. Get your life and get your marriage right with God. I'm of the opinion that a real man needs a real dog. Real dog. So we got ourselves a schnoodle, (laughs) all nine pounds of her. And I remember, this was a couple years ago, but my son, he was like four years old at the time. We had just had this puppy for like three days. And he's upstairs in our toy room. And we weren't there, but we pieced this together later. He's upstairs by himself and he's watching TV. He's watching this, it was like this dog superhero movie. And uh, they got these dogs and capes and dogs are flying around. And he's looking at the TV watching this and he's looking down at the dog. And He looks at the TV and he sees flying dogs. Dog, flying dogs, dog, flying dogs, dog. And I think picked her up, launched her in the air, right? Three days we had her, broke her leg. We realized he didn't know how to take care of a dog. And he got in trouble, but he didn't really understand. He understands now. He knows exactly how to treat a dog. He knows exactly what he's allowed to do. And if he did that now, oh, he'd be in so much more trouble. Why? Because he knows better. The scribes knew the law. They were teachers of it. That's why at the end of our passage, Jesus says they will receive the greater condemnation because they were more accountable. They knew the truth and they willfully rejected it. Hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but if you're coming to Compass Bible Church, you're coming to Thrive each Week, you know exactly what a biblical husband and what a biblical wife is supposed to do. And that makes you so much more accountable to God. So you've got, you have got to take this seriously. You've got to make sure, first, you're not a spiritual hypocrite. Make sure it's all not just a show. No, you really are following after God. But then work hard. Work hard every single day to make sure you're not a marital hypocrite. Throwing away things like selfishness and pride and working hard every day in your marriage. Working hard for your spouse to make sure you're humble, you're focused on your spouse, you're selfless, and you're kind. Because your eternity will be better if you do so. and be willing to bet your marriage here on earth would be better as well. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the gift of marriage and I thank you for the gift of a spouse that we all have. And it is such a blessing. But I just pray that we... We are good stewards of this gift and we are faithful to you and what you've called us to do and you've called us to be selfless in marriage and I know it's hard and I know it's difficult and in the trials and in the trenches of life it gets tough but I pray that we never forget your calling for us to be humble and to be selfless and to set aside our own interests and look after you first and foremost and by extension in the context of the family and the marriage that you provided for us that we look to the benefit of of our spouse, and be the kind of selfless husbands and wives that you called us to be. I pray for a good, small group discussion time where we can get real practical on these issues. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.